things start in religion, and it's going to be with God's Word. And what does God's Word tell us? What does it do for us? And how can we look into God's Word to lead our lives? Well, what does it start with? Well, it starts with the fact that it's true. Now, we're going to talk about evidence. I don't know why that's up there. We're going to talk about evidence. And the fact that we have evidence of the fact that the Scriptures are true. That what we see in religion and what we hear from the Bible, let me rephrase that, maybe not what we see in religion sometimes, but what we hear in the Bible, we know and can be assured that it's true. So we're going to talk about this morning about the evidence of the Bible. The evidence that the Bible is God's Word, that it has everything in it that we need, and everything that we need to guide our lives. Now, I'm going to use PowerPoint this entire week. There'll be times when I have a scripture I think about that I want to use that's not on there, so we'll just go back to the old style and read it right out of the Bible. Most of my scriptures are, are printed. They'll be on the PowerPoint there in King James Version. But you know, I got to thinking about the fact of, of God's holy word. What is it good for? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So we see from God's Word itself what it does for us. Well, it's our doctrine. We can reprove, we can correct, we can instruct ourselves in righteousness. Why? Verse 17 says that the man of God might be perfect. That means complete. That the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This is where it starts. This is where the whole thing begins. Because we have to have something that's rock solid. We have to have a benchmark in our life to learn God's will and what He wants us to do in life. Now, I use the term benchmark. Now, if you're familiar with that, a benchmark is a set standard that surveyors use a lot of times. And if they want to know the elevation of your land or where the corners lie and all this, that, and the other, they're going to start with a benchmark because it never changes. A benchmark is rock solid. You can always go back to the benchmark. When surveyors kind of get confused and, boy, this ain't laying right, let's go back to the benchmark, guys, and then we'll start that survey again. That's what God's Word is. It's a benchmark. And we're going to talk about the evidence of that this morning. So, evidence. What is evidence? Well, where do we even get the Word from? Well, it's used in Scripture. In Hebrews 11 and 1, the Bible says here, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of things hoped for. It is the what? Evidence. So evidence is something that we use in life. We use evidence in all kinds of things. Now, in a courtroom setting, we're going to use evidence to try to come to a conclusion on fact. You're going to present things. But now in a biblical sense, if you look at the word evidence, it, it means just exactly what it is. If you see there, it says it's proof by uh, proof that which a thing is proved or tested. Evidence brings us to a conclusion. In just a general term, evidence is a broad, in a broad sense includes everything that's used to determine the truth of an assertion. 
giving or procuring evidence is the process of using those things that are either presumed to be true or we themselves prove via evidence to demonstrate an assertion's truth. So that's what we use to prove truth. We measure it. It's not something we guess at. It's not something we feel like. It's not something that, that ought to be a good idea. It's something that's rock solid. It's a benchmark as well because it's a process that we use to come to a conclusion about something. Our Christian faith is built on a knowledge or a proof that's given by God. And we know that our faith comes from God's Word. That's how we get it. In Romans 10 and 17, the Apostle Paul is telling the church at Rome there, he says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Paul tells them that, that faith comes by hearing God's Word because it is certain and we do have evidence. we got plenty of evidence. Apologetics is a term that, that is kind of new to me, but might be not new to you. Apologetics is the process of religiously proving things. Let's look at a definition of that. Christian apologetics is a field of Christian theology that presents a rational basis for the Christian faith to defend the faith against objections and misrepresentation and to expose error within other religious and worldviews. So, this idea of proving that the Bible is, is correct and proving that God's Word is for us and from God and, and it is a benchmark is not something new. But I wanted to start with this in this meeting because we need to know that, that this is God's Word. And as all of these little children that you have here grow up, they need to understand that, that the things that are in the Bible are true, that those things did happen, that there was a flood, that Noah gathered up all those animals on the ark. You know, we might see little cartoons of, of a little boat floating around and the giraffe head coming out. It's pretty cute and all that, you know. But we never want to really, uh, leave that impression that it's a cartoon or it didn't happen. Can you imagine how fearful that might have been? Noah's ark? Can you imagine getting on that ark? Can you imagine that Noah and his sons and their wives got on that ark and, and, you know, maybe, what about those wives? They had a mom and dad. They had brothers and sisters. You think that was a cartoon for them? They were terrified. You know they were. They had to be. It's real. God destroyed the world. That's not a cartoon. It's real. And as we grow older, I'm already there, but as you grow older, young ones, you need to understand that this is not something that's neat. It's not something that's fun to talk about. This is God's word. It's true. And when the stresses of life come to you, young folks, and you start getting tugged the other way, when people begin to say, you know, that's not, that's just, that's a good set of values, and if you want to follow them, you can, but you don't have to. And the world really didn't begin that way, it began this way. And when you get all of these conflicts to what God's Word is telling us, you need to understand that, that, God, that God's Word is not a set of stories. It's not a set of things that, that might be interesting, a set of values that you can use or not use. It's God's Word. It's God's will. It's what will save your soul. And we need to deeply implant that into our lives. It's what will save our soul. Now... Why is this so important? Because it's true. In John 8 and 32, you shall know the truth, 
and the truth will make you free. You ever think about that? Scripture a little deeper than just the top surface of that? And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free from what? What is the Scripture going to make you free from? Sin and spiritual death. That Bible that each of you have right in front of you is an account of man's downfall and his redemption. You know, we read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 where it says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine and reproof and, that, and as that went on. And it is. But the bottom line is it contains what will save your soul. And that's how important it is. And we need to know it's true. We need to deeply implant that in our heart because we got other people that are saying that it's not like that. So, Let's read in Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27. Therefore, so, there, and, and this is along this line that we're talking about. Here, Jesus says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house on a rock, and the rain descended, and floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, now we're talking about, now Jesus begins to talk about the people that hear the things that he said, but they're not going to do them. He says, Doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Do you notice that the scripture doesn't even begin to tell you that, well, if you have the winds, and if you have the rains. And the reason is, is because life is, is hard. And life is cruel. And life has got challenges. And you will have that wind and rain. And that's the reason your house needs to be built on a rock. Because it's built on sand, it's going to be not where it needs to be. Now, we you know, we develop our opinions from a lot of things. Um, a lot of things that we hear. Our faith is built on a solid ground. Now, how would you defend your faith? Think about that for just a minute. How would you respond if somebody questioned your faith? What if somebody said, well, I don't think that flood was really real, was it? How could you respond to that? And maybe there, somebody said, well, there's a flood. There, you know, a science says that there was a flood, but it was just a localized flood. It wasn't a worldwide flood. And what if, and what if somebody said, well, you know, the, the, the earth is not 6,000 years old. How would you respond to that? What if somebody said, no, it's really 22 million years old? Now, if you've been through school, you know what, what I'm fixing to say. And if, you're going to, if you ain't got there yet, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to have people that are going to tell you that the earth is millions and millions and millions of years old. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. We're going to discuss some of the things that we know in life that tell us different. 
In 1 Peter 3 and 15, the Bible says, But sanctify the Lord in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, how are we supposed to do that? Meekness and fear. What are we going to do? We are going to be ready to give an answer. How are we going to get ready for that? We're going to study. We're going to know God's plan. We're going to know His Word. And we're going to be ready to defend our faith. Can you do that? Can you defend your faith? How about to yourself? Can you defend your faith to yourself? Because you know ultimately you'll have to do that. I think people are pretty much all the same in the fact that, that we have times when we are stronger. We have times when we're weaker. But we all at some point in time have to defend our faith to ourselves. Is it possible to do that? Yes. Yes, it is. It's very possible to do that, but we have to prepare for that. We have to consider some things that the Scripture says and consider the things that, that are in life that we battle against. What is our greatest challenge in, in this area? What would be our greatest challenge that we face in the world? Well, it's going to be humanism. What is that? What is that? Humanism. Well, humanism is an approach in study, philosophy, worldview, or practice that focuses on human values and concerns, attaching prime importance to humans rather than divine or supernatural matters. That's what humanism is, and that's what you're going to be faced with. And if you haven't been faced with it yet, you will. Because you're going to have people in a humanistic type setting, whether that be public school, whether that be college, whether that be the workplace. You're going to have people that, that view life, they view, view spirituality, they view everything that they do in a humanistic type way. I believe it's a pride of life. And that's how they view things. That's how they place value. That's... That's the direction that they send their life. And, you know, what does God say about that? 2 right. Corinthians 5 and 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. So it's not by the sight that we see and what we can figure out on our own. We walk by faith. Now, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So it goes back to that. It goes back to God's Word. You know... We're taught many different things nowadays. That the earth started with a big bang theory. That humans evolved from a single cell. That evolution is the way it was. Well, the only thing I can see that's evolved is, is how it's taught. Because when, and I know I'm an older guy saying, well, when I was a kid, you know, uh, but I'll have to. When I was a kid, it was taught as a theory. I don't know that it's taught as a theory anymore. I think it's taught more like a fact. It's not a fact. Evolution's not a fact. It is a theory that some scientists have adopted. Not all scientists. We'll talk about that too. Let's look at what Romans says or what Paul talked talk to the church at Rome here in, in Romans 1.25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie? And worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is 
blessed forever. Amen. It was going on back then. It goes on today. They're worshiping the things that are around them. The things that they can do more than the Creator. And when they do that, it skews us. It, it weakens us. You know, some people say that there, there is a God, but, you know, evolution happened and there's, it's all in between everything. Some people say, well, um, you know, 24 hours back in Genesis was not really 24 hours and some things such as that. And, and some say that the Bible was an interesting collection of, of stories and books, but it's full of error and, and inconsistency. And that humanness goes back to tell you to worship the the earth and not God. That changed the truth into a lie. What is the truth? The Word of God. You know, I, I think sometimes we almost discount the power of that Word. Uh, my daughter was telling, my oldest daughter was telling me one time she had a professor that was, uh, he was agnostic. He just kind of, you know, was kind of in between on this deal. But he had begun to read the Bible just for a historical sake. I, I told her, I said, that's great. I hope he keeps reading it, you know, because it's powerful. The scripture tells us that. Hebrews 4 and 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You ever think about a two-edged sword? That's a battle instrument. Sharpened on both sides. They could hack back and forth. It would cut both ways. Piercing even the to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It discerns that. It finds it out. The Word of God finds out what's in our heart. It's, it's what's in my heart, what's in your heart. It cuts to the quick. It gets us where we need to be. So, How do we all set that? Well, we all set it with a consistent study. How do we use that? To build a faith that's founded on a rock. It's not founded on the sand. That sand won't hold us up. It's supported by evidence. A faith that is supported by evidence. So that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about some of the evidence. When I started studying for this lesson... Uh, I talked to Craig about this too. It's just and and Trevor, we were having this conversation. When you begin to to delve into how much evidence there is to prove the Bible is right, you could just you could easily do a two week gospel meeting on on just that probably. So I can't do that. We we're not going. That's not all we're going to talk about this week. We're just going to skim across the top of it and talk about that. But I want to first talk about the book, the Bible itself. Let's think about that, the book. Written over a 1,500-year span, over 40 generations of people by 40 different writers. Written in different places, different languages. Written with a purpose to aid and assist and save mankind. Think about that. What's the purpose of the Bible? The overall purpose, if you had to name one thing that the Bible is good for, now, it guides us into, into good living. If we follow that, we're going to have less problems in life, and it's going to teach us how to get along with people better and all of the things that help us. But if, it only, if we could only identify one purpose, it's our salvation. And all of that was done 
without contradiction. Now, people say that it does. But when you carefully study God's Word, you find out it doesn't. That it's not contradictory. That it's consistent. I want to talk about the prophecies for just a minute. We're going to talk about some evidence. We talked about the book and how that, that, that within itself is, is a lot of evidence. How they could put that book together and all of that be right and different people and over different periods of time and different locations and all that. And all of a sudden it just kind of blends together. What about the prophecies? That was something to think about. What is a prophecy? A prophecy is something that is told that's going to happen. Now, I can't do this, but if I told you that next year we're going to have a good year, uh, all of farmers in Plainview are going to have good crops. Charles would like to hear that. Uh, and if I knew that and that was true, that would be a prophecy. Then it would come, come to be. So what we read about in the Old Testament is there's a lot of things that are talked about that are going to happen later on. We're going to make some references to them. We won't read all the scriptures because we'd be here for a while. If, you need, if you'd like to see the scriptures, I'd be glad to furnish those to you. Jesus didn't come to destroy that old law. He came to fulfill it. That's what he said in Matthew 5 and 17. Think not that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So we see all of this prophecy in the Old Testament. We see the fulfillment in the New Testament years and years and years and years later. That within itself is a lot of evidence that the Scripture is true. Predictive prophecy proved the following. Number one, there's a divine intellect between the Old Law and the New Testament. There's, there's an intellect there. There's a connection. It authenticates the deity of Jesus. You know, a lot of people when Jesus was on the earth said he's not the Christ. He's not the Son of God. Got him in a bind a lot of times when he would say that. And also, that predictive prophecy demonstrates the inspiration of the Bible. How in the world could anybody tell you that things were going to happen and then they did happen without it being inspired from God? How could they? Born of a virgin. Predicted in Isaiah 7 and 14. That within itself is a miracle. But it was predicted back in Isaiah. It was fulfilled in Matthew 1. Born of a virgin. That Jesus would be from the house of David. Predicted or prophesied. In Jeremiah 23 and 5. We see it fulfilled in Matthew 1 and 1. Born in Bethlehem. That was predicted in Micah 5 and 2. Fulfilled in Matthew 2 and 1. How could that be? Where they could predict where Jesus was going to be born. What town he would be born in. How could they do that? Only with God's help. God's plan. Enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Predicted. Zechariah 9 and 9. We see it, Matthew 21, 6 through 11. And you know that's a small thing. You think, the importance is not the fact that he rode in on a donkey. I mean, that's how they got around, you know. But the, the importance of this is, is that somebody knew that, was inspired to write that down way back there before that ever happened. 
Betrayed by a friend, predicted in Psalms 41 and 9, fulfilled in Matthew 10 and 4. What a blessing that we have that we can look in the Scriptures, find these examples, and build our faith. What a blessing that is. We'll talk about the miracles for just a minute. Well, miracles within themselves were what ratified, I guess you might say, the, the teaching that was going on. Now think about that for just a minute. These guys are living like as Jews under Jewish law, under the old law, and then this guy comes riding in on a donkey, and he says, you know what? Now we're going to do it a little different. And they're going, hmm. And, and I believe that probably what troubled them so much is that they didn't know the old law. Or if they'd have adequately known the old law, they would have, they would have known the prophecies that were being fulfilled. But, but what happened? They began to use miracles. Nicodemus um, is probably one of my, bit, I, I, my favorite examples of that. Because I can just envision this, this, this scene of, of this ruler of the Jews that's coming to Jesus. And, and when does he come? He comes by night. Now, I don't know why he came by night. You know, I got an idea. Maybe that wasn't a thing to do. Maybe Nicodemus, uh, that Pharisee, was coming over there and maybe slipping over there at night. I don't know. Because he didn't want anybody else to see him. But this is what he did. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said, said unto him, Rabbi, that means leader. We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He saw what had happened. He saw what Jesus did. And he saw those miracles and he said, I know you are from God because there's nobody could do this. And it built faith in people. In John 6 and 14, the Bible says, Then those men which they had seen the miracles that Jesus did, and he's talking about people that had seen those miracles, said, this is of a truth, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. It ratified, it certified Jesus Christ as the Son of God. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Here in John 2 and 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name, when they saw the miracles, which, which he did. There was a purpose for those miracles. Yeah, they were good deeds, and people appreciated them a lot. <coughs> Excuse me. But they had a purpose, and it built their faith. Let's talk about the resurrection. That within itself is just astounding. That a man could be put to death and rise. Now, I'm talking about in a humanistic type way. Okay, if if somebody was not a spiritual person, <coughs> excuse me, and they saw that Jesus had been crucified on the cross, they knew he was dead. They saw that, and they take him off to this tomb, and later on, they hear about him being raised from the dead. Now he revealed himself back to the believers, no doubt. 
1 Corinthians 15, verses 4 through 6. And that he was buried and that he arose again, that he rose again the, the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas and then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some are fallen asleep. And it's talking about Jesus after he had been risen from the dead was seen of over five hundred brethren. Over 500 brethren saw that. And they came and witnessed the resurrection or the, the result of the resurrection. Let's talk about some evidence of science. We're going to move through those areas. This is another area. The evidence of science. Let's talk about science. We're not going to delve deeply in that. just don't have time. Let's talk about evolution for just a minute. Is evolution real? If it is real, then where did it start from? Where did it start from? Where did it all begin? If somebody says, well, you know, um, there's two cells. That, where did those cells come from? Now, young folks, I want you to remember this, that people that might teach you evolution are not going to teach you or even try to approach more than likely of where all of this stuff came from that we evolved from. Where did that come from? Where did it begin? Where did the atmosphere come from? That, that we all, the air that we breathe and the water that we drink and all the things that we do. I want to read a couple of quotes. I won't read, there's a bunch of this stuff out there. And what this is, these are scientific people who are giving their views that are not very ever, ever rarely seen. They don't talk about these guys a lot, like Alan Sandage. This guy is a winner of the Crawford Prize for Astronomy. And here's what he says. I find it quite improbable that such order came out of chaos. There has to be some organizing principle. God to me is a mystery, but is the explanation for the miracle of existence. Why there is something instead of nothing. You remember Hebrews 11 and 1? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. There's things that, that are not seen by us that we know exist. Now let's whittle that down for just a minute. I've never been to New York City. My wife wants to go. I don't really want to, but probably will wind up there one day. I've never been there, but I know it exists. Some of y'all have been there. Maybe y'all came back and told me it was there. There's ways that we learn things. But our faith tells us that we were created. We didn't evolve from something. We were created. Carl Sagan, Cornell University. I may struggle with this a bit because it's a pretty large number. He further estimated that the chance of life evolving on a single planet like Earth is, is one chance in one in ten to the billionth power. <coughs> I'm not going to read all of that, but he said it would take 300 pages, uh, well, uh, 6,000 volumes of 300 pages each just to write the number down. And that's what he said would be about the probability that abs and, and finally, that there's absolutely no chance that life spontaneously evolved on the earth. There's no chance of that. 
Yet it's taught in many areas and arenas. It's taught in many colleges and universities. It's taught as a truth. It's prescribed as a truth. You know, there's science in the Bible. We're going to just talk about a couple of these things. The science of the Bible. The paths of the sea. In Psalms 8, verses 8 and 9, it talks about the pathways of the sea, the paths of the sea. The fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. The paths of the sea wasn't discovered by the scientific world until Matthew Murray come along. He lived between 1806 and 1873. Yet when was Psalms written? God knew it was there. God knew that those things existed. A suspended earth. Now if you read history books, you know how the, the explorers they left out and they were going to sail their ships across the ocean, but they were afraid they were going to fall off the end of the earth. And Then the mythology says that, that Atlas was holding the, the earth up and all kinds of things. Yet way back there in Job 26 and 7, the Bible says he stretched out the north over the empty space and hangeth the earth upon nothing. God knew that the earth was suspended. Science or mankind didn't come up with that on their own until many, many, many years later. Let's talk about logic. Now we've talked about different things. Talk about science and all this, that, and the other. Let's talk about logic. Actually, to me, it is logical to say that it's harder to believe that evolution existed than creation. I mean, you think about that in logical sense. It's harder to believe that, that, that we evolved from nothing, from nothing, and nobody can tell us where it all came from, than to say, God created us. That's logical to me. How old is the earth? 22 million, 6 million, less than 10,000. How old was Adam? Adam was created on the sixth day. At the end of that day, Adam was one day old. How old did Adam look? Well, I don't really know. But this I do know. That he was created in a mature sense. A mature state. In Genesis 1 and 28, the Bible says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish, and sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over everything that moveth upon the earth. Now, be fruitful and multiply. When Adam was created, he had the ability to multiply. Now, we know from logic that that means he had to be mature. He wasn't created as a one-day-old baby on the sixth day, was he? He was able to multiply. So how old did he look? Did he look one-day-old on that sixth day? No. What about the trees and the plants and all of the things? How old were they? How old were those fruit trees? Well, the day they were created, they were mature. The fruit trees were created with the ability to bear fruit. Here in Genesis 1 and 12, the Bible says, And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed, 
after his kind and the, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind and God saw that it was good. This earth was created in a mature state. Now, you know, scientists want to carbon date things. I don't know what that all means, but, but it's a process where they measure the length of something, the, the age of something. Now, if I set a tree, a tree out here or a mountain or whatever it is, on the day it's created, it's actually one day old, the day it's created, but it doesn't look that way. Yet somebody's going to carbon date something and tell me how old it is? That doesn't hit logic for me. I think we finally answered the, the age-old question, who came first, the chicken or the egg? It's the chicken. You know. We walk by faith. That's our walk. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We walk by our faith. We walk guided by God's plan. Now, as we consider that, we know that, again, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We're going to use that faith that we have to walk the pathway of God. We are going to strengthen our faith. We can believe in, and must believe that we can endure the storms of life. They, those storms of life will come. What is our faith built on? Is it built on a rock? Or is it built on the sand? We need to have it built on a rock. We need to strengthen our faith so that we can weather the storms of life. And don't shame yourself if you have moments where your faith falters. I'll talk to you about that for just a minute. I think people put a, God's people put a lot of grief on ourselves from time to time. Because sometimes our faith slips a little bit and we have a little moment of doubt and we're ashamed of that. I conclude that every, well, I think that everybody does that. Peter did it. Think about Peter. Denied Christ? I mean, you know, they said, well, you, you were with, no, he said, no, I don't know the guy. What did he do about that? You know, Judas betrayed Christ. And in his sorrow, he went out and hanged himself. Was that the thing to do? No. What did Peter do? He became the keynote speaker, Acts 2. He picked himself up, he dusted himself off, he told God he was sorry, and he got back to work. And that's what we need to do. And we need to hard rock solid know that our faith can sustain us through the storms of life. It may falter from time to time. Pick yourself up, study, and get back on board. We can do that. And know that God is there with His Word to protect us. Psalms 119, 97. Beginning in verse 97 here. Oh, thy love. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Though through thy commandments has made me wiser than my enemies. Who is your enemy? I'm going to ask you that. Now we're talking about in Psalms here and it's talking about the law, the, the word. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. 
Though through thy commandments has made me my, though through thy commandments may be wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. Who's ever with you? What enemy do you have that's ever with you? It's the devil. The Bible describes the devil as a roaring lion that seeks, seeks who he can devour. He's out there. What is his instrument? It's the world. He's, he's talked about as the prince of the world. He's got all the worldly stuff going for him that draws us away, entices us, holds us back, and weakens us. What do we do? We need to go back to the law. It says, it made me wiser than mine enemies. For they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto the t- my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How many times you ever had to walk out to the back shed out at your place or whatever at night? And you know if you don't carry that flashlight, you're going to stump your toe on something. Well, they didn't have flashlights back then, but they had lamps, you know, oil lamp or whatever. And they used it to guide their way. That's what the Bible does for us. It guides our way through the darkness of life so we don't stump our toe. It is a light into our path. So, as we progress through this meeting this week, we're going to refer to God's Word to guide us in many areas. It is the book of life. It is what saves us. It is what guides us and provides us all that we need. And that's the way we'll do it. I want to thank you for your attention this morning. It's been a great audience. I look forward to seeing all of you this week. If, if I haven't met you yet, I want to meet you. I'd like for you to meet Claudia. She's got to go home tomorrow. We hadn't talked first principles this morning or, or what a person needs to do. But if someone has been sufficiently taught or if someone here needs the prayers of the church, whatever the need might be, if we can help you with that, we're going to stand here in just a minute. We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you have a need and we can meet that need, we'd be glad to help you in that. God bless you. I hope to see a lot of you this week. Let us stand and sing.